Hey, Hoopheads. Once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson, and welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Yeah, yeah. Let's get down to this and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Well, Kenneth, before we begin, you know I always like to ask you this question. How you doing, man? Can't complain, man. Glad to be here. Always glad to talk some Miami Heat ball, and of course, and especially after a win. Yeah, we're coming to you live after the pace, the win over the Pacers here on Friday, December 3rd. 113-104 over our rival Indiana Pacers, a game that we're going to talk about a bit in a moment. But first, let's cover the unfortunate loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at home on Wednesday, December 1st, 111-85. No Jimmy, no Bam that night. And in fact, this is him, This has been a pretty eventful week, to say the least, for Heat fans. Bam Adebayo was announced that he will be getting surgery this weekend, so probably tomorrow or something, I don't know. And he he has a sprained UCL on his right thumb, so that usually takes about four to six weeks. However, Ethan Skolnick of Five Reasons Sports reported that it we shouldn't be surprised if it takes double than that, so maybe... Best case scenario, we see Bam at the beginning of 2022. Worst case scenario, we see Bam after the All-Star break. Hopefully, we see him. I, I, I told Kenneth in our when we were texting that we will know more if he travels with the team in the upcoming, the longest road trip of the season, which will take place right at the end of the year. And the Miami Heat will start in the year on the road in the West. That's a two-week road trip. And if he travels with the team, there's a slight chance he comes back during the road trip. What to say you, my friend? What do you think about all this? Um, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I'm just looking at the four- to six-week timeline. I'll give it. Um, when, I, when I see things like this, and especially timelines, I have my mindset on the ladder of the, you know what I mean, the number. So I kind of look at it as being, okay, we'll be without Bam for six weeks and any time before that. Um, you know what I mean, as a gift. Because as far as, like, extended absences go, I feel like the best way to play this is to put all your cards out there and let the chips fall. Meaning, if it were longer, they would probably just go ahead and set it up front and that stated anything early as a gift. So I'm just kind of looking at that six-week time frame as a realistic, you know what I mean, return date for me and just hope that the Heat can keep their head above water until then. Yeah, hopefully. Unfortunately, as was mentioned in the article by Ethan Skolnick, that f- probably means we can kiss goodbye to his second All-Star bid and defensive play in a Defensive Player of the Year campaign. But worry not, because I'm pretty sure Bam. I'm, I'm not speaking for him, but maybe he doesn't care that much about all those things. And this team is built to win a championship and with selfless guys. Fortunate, unfortunately, will. If Oladipo comes back by January, we'll probably have to wait a bit longer to see this team at full strength. 
So, yeah, that timeline has been that date has been postponed of seeing this team at full full strength. Not to mention, Markeith Morris is coming up on almost a month missed after the Jokic incident. Which, by the way, found I find strange that people, some people were accusing that night, that fateful night in Denver. People were accusing Markeith of faking the injury, but apparently been pretty serious because he we haven't seen him ever since but anyway into the game Cavaliers 111 he 85 tough game for Miami they just couldn't get it going from the beginning I watched like a bit of the first quarter but then I kind of tuned out I was admittedly very sad about the BAM news because BAM is my favorite player in the league right now and not seeing my favorite player in the league for six weeks hurts my soul but yeah I did see Kevin Love torch torching us, so I better hope that buyout is coming out soon because we will welcome you with open arms, Kevin. So, Kenneth, I'll let you take the lead on this one. I mean, you kind of said it, man. Um, from wire to wire, Cavaliers just had the Heat's number on Wednesday. Um, it was the Heat's worst defeat of the year, points-wise. 26-point loss, 85-111, as you mentioned. And, and you touched on exactly the point that I wanted to make. Kevin Love hasn't been terrible or anything at all this season for the Cavaliers. However, if you want to look at his numbers, he had arguably his best game against the Miami Heat. Um, now, he's had another game where he scored 22 points early in the season. Again, we're still fairly early. But back in October, he scored 22. Um, and then, you know, proceeded to score 22 on Wednesday on December 1st. Um, against Miami, he had 22 points, six rebounds, and three assists. Like I said, arguably his best complete game of the year. Now, it was safe to say that he was auditioning. I don't know if that was for the Miami Heat or for some other team, but that was pretty much the difference, man. You can account for that production and especially the way he was getting it done. Like when they have the size that they have on the inside, and then you have another guy that you have to worry about hitting your boards or killing him from the middle, hitting shots from the outside like that making the space even greater and allowing those big guys that they have in the middle to operate like they do, then it's going to be hard to beat them when you don't have your BAM or when you don't have Jimmy Butler. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Lori Markman didn't do anything from a statistical perspective that really blew you away, but the man's also seven foot. So think about it. You got Lori Markman, Evan Mobley, um, <clears throat> and Jared Allen. Allen, and Kevin Love. You know what I mean? Jared Allen and Kevin Love basically attacking you from the inside and, and all capable of playing a little bit, like not that Jared Allen's going to kill you, you know what I mean, from the outside or anything, but he's capable of playing with those other three bigs that can kill you from the outside. So it's just that combination of versatility and size, man, was too much for the Heat to match up with, especially, you know, coming off of the BAM situation where this is your first game without him trying to just figure out some things. So that's just what happened there. And the Cavaliers, you have to admit it at this point, um, and they actually just beat the Wizards tonight too i want to say um yeah they're, which they're helps, pretty good which team. helps us absolutely absolutely they're a pretty good team so you know you give them their credit and their kudos but for us specifically it was the kevin love outburst the lack of size and just trying to immediately adjust you know for the next six weeks because that was the first game without bam after he injured his hand you know what i mean monday against denver and not to mention we didn't have jimmy butler either who's still out with the tailbone injury he sustained against chicago so we ran up against a better team that night. They beat us wire to wire, and their size was a big factor. Yeah. Admit admittedly, even without BAM, the small sample size that I saw, yeah. But 
Cleveland seems like a bad matchup, like for the Miami Heat, like one of the few teams that I could actually say we don't match up well with them. Right, because of size, size. Their Im- um, immense amount of size and Evan Mobley's talent and Jared Allen rim, r- Jared Allen's rim protection. So yeah, that was. They, they're no actually, matter they're actually good. No matter what big man they bring in, they don't lose anything, and that's where you get beat. Because Bam doesn't do well with size anyway. With guys that are big and long, pause. He doesn't do well with them anyway. However, at the same time, when you're talking about a team that can bring in three waves of guys and there's really no drop-off, because even though they might not do everything the same or everything at an equal level, they all do stuff at a high enough level where it kills you equally. Like I said, if you're playing Kevin Love in there as the big, Kevin Love can hit the boys. Kevin Love can also kill you from the three-point line. Evan Mobley can do everything. There's nothing that he can't do. Defense, play from the outside, play from the inside, kill you in the middle, whatever, whatever. And, of course, when you look at Allen, Allen will block every shot that ever existed, grab the rebounds, be the rim runner, be the lob man, finish on the road. I mean, it's just like when they can throw that size at you and the ways that they can throw it at you. And, not, and as I mentioned, Lloyd Marketing wants to be a small forward, but he's still seven foot. So when he's in there just throwing his body around, you know, disturbing stuff, allowing his seven foot guys that actually want to be seven foot guys to do what they do, it just makes for a recipe that's not good for a team like the Heat that want to switch everything and that rely, even if they have size on sort of small ball principles to get it done. Something that I just remembered, I do remember you telling me, I do recall you telling me in the offseason that Evan Mobley had potential to be special, even better than the first two picks. And it looks like the Cavs hit a home run with that pick. I told you, bro. I told you. If I had the choice, I might take him. And and it wasn't just because he was – when you're looking at two guys like Green and Kay Cunningham, don't get me wrong, they have all the talent in the world, but you're talking about perimeter players, man. And it's so finicky and so volatile because the way – one makes James Harden James Harden is – he doesn't play the game traditionally, but the the wankiness with which he does get it done, it's effective in the league. And that isn't the case for everybody because you look at guys like Kevin Martin. Don't get me wrong, Kevin Martin could give you buckets, but his game never translates to flat-out superstardom. And I say that to say every sort of wankiness or every method of getting it done from that perimeter doesn't necessarily translate to the type of success that you might think it might translate to. Number one, number two pick type success, such as Green or Kate Cunningham. But when you look at a guy like Evan Mobley, who is primarily a big man, is going to give it to you on both sides, and at the end of the day has, I'll say it, has almost elite athleticism when you can, when you look at not just like the springiness, but the ability to move, the ability to run, the ability to make his body do stuff that a big man shouldn't be able to do. When you have a guy like that, you really can't miss. And everything that he brings to the next level from a perimeter-oriented skill set, the stuff that he showed at USC, um, everything that he brings to the level just takes his ceiling that much higher and makes the pick just that much better. The The point of the matter was it was a no-lose pick. Yeah. Great pick by them. Great players looking so far. Uh, and and, I and touch- I'll say this. And I'll say this. I don't mean to wax poetic about the Cavs too much, but – they make everybody, they make all of us look silly, and, and they don't get to do this a lot because a lot of us were thinking, you're going to take him, and you got Allen, you're going to re-him up, you also got marketing, and not to mention you still got Kevin Love sitting there, but what they saw in Mobley that the rest of us should have saw was his ability to be 
a perimeter player in the moment. So in the series, on the sequences, you needed him to offensively or enough to keep your space at while then also being able to provide that big man defense or that rim protection you need on the other side. Yeah. So uh, on the Miami side, even like watching the timeline, I think this was the the game that made Heat Twitter reach. I, I know we have almost said this at certain points, but I think this was the game that made Heat Twitter almost reach a breaking point with Duncan Robinson. His streak of at least one three-pointer ended at 69. I want to say, yeah, it's not a it's not a very nice way to end. However, yeah, 0 for 7. Yeah, he was an absolute zero that night. He played only 20 minutes. And yeah, the team didn't have it. And Kyle Lowry was also catching some flack on, on the timeline. However, tonight served as a sort of bounce back for them and not only for them but for our big guy Yurt Yurt got an extended run tonight and I mean a really long run I, I think this yeah this is the most he has played in a game this season he played 20 minutes he played most of the second half Detman sat down for a lot of the second half maybe they, they're trying to save him because they we face the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow night albeit Giannis Antetokounmpo is listed as doubtful so Got to keep an eye out for that. Still a really good team. However, Kyle Lowry, 26 points, 9 assists. He was making bombs. Like the Kyle Lowry that we were used to seeing in Toronto who would just hit a back-breaking three like coming off. Like there was a, I want to say, I don't remember the quarter, but it was a two-for-one situation. So he just pulled up from Kyle Lowry range as he likes End to do. End of the third quarter. End of the third yeah. quarter. And he made it. It was what we were accustomed to seeing from him in Toronto. And he did to us so many times where we finally like saw him doing it. And, oh, it before, was. Before the defense could get set, before you realized what was going on, he was already pulling up. I mean, that's the cow lawyer you think $30 million dollars will get you. Yeah. Duncan Robinson, I think this is the game that I've seen him drive the ball to the basket at will the most for you know the three seasons that we have been watching him play consistently i don't think i've ever seen him drive the ball that much in a game and put the ball on the floor and try to make a play inside the arc right this was the first time that i would say we saw him stick to it like we've seen him give it to you in doses at the beginning of the game in the middle of the game at the end of the game but this was the first time you saw him go to it stick to it and not only go to it and stick to it but intermingle it really, really well, spritz it in really, really well with his outside shooting game. Like, he didn't go to one thing specifically, and he was very multiple with it tonight. It's a very nice change of things for him. And if he can be more of this going forward, not only do I think it helps the jump shot because it gives him better looks because he's keeping the defense on their toes, but I think it also helps keep him in rhythm. And it just makes him an overall better player. It helps the team. Something of note, I did not expect this Pacers team to be this bad. They're a bad team. They have lost let, four in a row. And I think this is their I, I agree, man, but let me let me I want to say this and not to cut you off. Yes, overall your point is true. But I'll say this. For as bad as we can say that they were tonight, they shot the hell out of the ball. Oh yeah. I mean, so Even, like said, man, they, they, they're a bad team. We know that. But I don't give a damn how bad you are, man. If you're going to shoot 
You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, the first really, half they were shooting about 60%, if I'm not that's mistaken. That's what I was going to say. I, I was looking for the specific number because I didn't want to be wrong. But, yeah, let's use that one. I know it was, I think it was like 62 to be specific. But if you're going to shoot 6% in the first half, it's tough for any team to beat you. Now, Brogdon only had one point at the end of the first half, too, which is a weird thing. They're shooting as well as they were, and Brogdon only had one point. But, you know. They kind of... I don't want to say they unraveled in the second half, but there was a point there where Miami just seemingly had control of the game. But spoiler alert, as it had been a recurring theme throughout the season, Miami could not hold on to the lead, and they made the they made the game much closer than it should have been. That game should have been over much sooner. That fourth quarter was God. That fourth quarter was really long, man. I, I mean. I thought it would never end. And at the end there, the game got kind of testy. P.J. Tucker and Eric Spolster both got called for technical fouls on a on a bad call by the officials. But they both, like, they were both really animated about it. And they got hit with technical fouls both. So that allowed Malcolm Brockton to step into the line and cut the, cut the lead from 11 to 9. And the heat, but then, but then the play that they got caught on technical fouls on got overturned. Yeah, it got reversed. But listen, I know, I know PG Tucker is a very competitive guy and whatever. But man, sometimes I, even when he was on, whenever we played against him, he really got on my nerves. Whenever he was, like sometimes he would just in the middle of the play, he would start looking at the official and yelling at them, like moving his arms really, like in a, an exaggerated manner. That's just who he is. But yeah, even when he plays for the Heat, I sometimes go like, man, is this really necessary? So I guess you got to live with it. And I would not like to live with it, but you got to. So, I, I, understand. I understand your frustration, but my thing is PJ is a guy that's thinking beyond this play. So I think that he's playing the long game when he asks for stuff like that. So in the future, in a big moment, when he's – you know, acting that way or when he's doing it, then it'll work. I think he's playing it like a coach would. And I agree with you. I mean, there are times where you should maybe think about, you know, letting it go and being less animated. But I think PJ's playing the long game there. I I was actually afraid he might get thrown out in that play because he will, he oh, leaned no. into the ref. And, hey, brother, he played the, oh, no, you're going to hear me step in front of another player's mechanism when they're trying to talk. Like, he was cutting Sabonis off. Like, no, don't listen to what he got to say. You're going to listen to me. I, I totally get it. He was very, very demonstrative. Yeah. If it was if it was any other, I'm I'm pretty sure there were uh, would have been a lot of reps who would have just thrown him out of the game because he was. You were, about, you were also about to say it. If it's anybody else, not to mention who just who the ref is, but because it's PJ, I'm sure he got a little bit longer of a leash there. Yeah, probably. And that's the case with many of these guys. Maybe I'm starting to see I'm starting to see the vision that they have because Draymond so Jimmy, Green is uh, Draymond Green is one of those guys. Draymond, Cal, they're three guys that you could mention right off top. Um Jimmy, Draymond, Cal. Let me see, is there another one? Uh Draymond right is Draymond is the worst offender. So I'm sometimes I'm generally surprised that Draymond doesn't get thrown out more often because Oh, absolutely. He just leans like he gets really close to the official, and he's all borderline yelling at them. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy, how does I he mean, not get thrown out more often? This one goes without saying, but LeBron does it. Yeah, LeBron, I mean, 
we all know that LeBron's not going to get... Well, he did get thrown out a couple nights ago, but yeah, that was in the middle of a fight, but... Right, right, that was different. You And they didn't want to throw him out there, and they had to throw him out because they were throwing the other guy out. LeBron talked to the refs like his kids. Yeah, but he's LeBron, and I know that Adam Silver has a direct line to the ref saying, don't throw him out unless it's something egregious. So... If you yeah, throw him that's... out, you're next, is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> if you... If you throw him out, you're going to get a memo in the mail. So, yeah. Uh, tomorrow, Milwaukee Bucks, second night of a back-to-back and the second of a two-game road trip. And then, well, Miami Heat return at, to their home floor on Monday, December 6th, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Who, but Let's talk about the Grizzlies for a second. I know this isn't Heat-related, although they'll face the Heat soon. The Memphis Grizzlies just beat defeated the... Oklahoma City Thunder by 73 points and no this is not a mistake they actually did beat the NBA team by 73 points yeah I mentioned this because unfortunately the Miami Heat were really terrible in the early 90s they were an expansion team and as it goes with expansion teams those early years are really really rough I was not alive back then but I mean, you can check out the records and all, and you can see this was that was a terrible ass team. So the previous NBA record for a margin of of defeat was sixty eight points. The Cleveland Cavaliers, coincidentally, who we just played on Wednesday, defeated the Miami Heat by that type of score. But the Oklahoma City Thunder had other plans, and they got. I mean, none of the adjectives that I know about. Getting a team getting blown out, do justice to the absolute shellacking that the team had. And I mentioned this to Kenneth. I don't care if you're rebuilding. I don't care if your two best players were out. Josh Giddy and SGA were not playing for OKC. If you lose by seventy three points, you gotta take a hard look at yourself and what you're doing as an organization, don't you think? I mean. It's tough to even justify that. There's, yeah, yeah, bro. I mean, you can't. You're an NBA team. That's what I was saying. You can't trot what you want to call an NBA team out on the floor and lose like that. Like if you put, if you paid for a ticket to see that game, you call the ticket office immediately and request a refund. Yeah. So, you know, I've I've been. This has been kind of. Like not brewing, but when you're when when you're NBA nerds like us, and you're on Twitter all the time, you see some people that are starting to like complain a bit about, hey, we're we've got a another process Sixers type of situation on our hands here, and we do know that there was a moment in time there where the process the process Sixers they caught the league's attention, so. At what point, this is what, year, this is year two or year three, I want to say, of the rebuild. Right, Kenneth? Well, I want to say year two. Probably year year two full on. Yeah. But at what point does the league once again start paying attention to this? Because Um, this affects the league as a whole. They they get, I'll, I'll be honest with you though, man, because they have Giddy, because they have SGA, and because neither of them didn't play, 
that night. You can write that off as a one-off or even give them two games like that, but they can't have five games like that this season. But if their best two players don't play and you have legit reasons, whether that's rest, whatever, and I know they suck and those guys are young, so you shouldn't even want to rest. And that shouldn't be a legit reasoning. But if you can legitly justify those two guys missing that game, then it's not something that you can penalize them for here. Now, if you start to, you know, make that a regular occurrence where you're losing by 20, 30, 40 every night and you're just not trying to fill a successful competitive team, then that's totally different. And don't get me wrong, because of who, you know, because of who's ran that situation, they're going to get the eyes, you know, just like the Process Sixes did. Yeah, I mean, it's tough not to start looking at that situation where they're in OKC because, I mean... This isn't the first time they've got absolutely blown out. There was a game, I don't remember when, I think they lost by 58. So this is not a... Obviously, okay, 73 it? points is just... Yeah, 73, 73 points is different, oh. but I, didn't, I wasn't aware of the 58. That was, to, that was this year as well? I think it was last year, if I'm not mistaken. I did see it in, in a quick Google search. Maybe... Right. I, maybe uh, but yeah, I mean... Holy cow. So th- if that's like a thing that's happening, you know, 10 times a year, then that's different, you know? Yeah, but... Man, I mean, it's, it's, just, not, pretty. it's, hard, it's, it's not pretty. It's I hard agree. to fathom. It's hard to fathom that a professional sports team is just that incompetent on one night. Because, sure, in college, you see that all the time. Because college, you know, there there's a clear power imbalance, you know. Well, the in basketball, the top recruits often go to Duke, Kentucky. Back in the day, you used to go to Kansas and all. But not in professional sports. Like, these teams are owned by, by billionaires. They have infinite resources. As much as those billionaires like, like to cry wolf whenever they say, Oh, man, we got a small market and whatever. Like, what's happening in baseball? What, like... That's why baseball angers me, but we're not gonna we're not gonna get into that. So, yeah. Anything else on the Thunder? Nah, man. And we started there because we got the Grizzlies on Monday, which will be to you. We'll probably get with you after the Grizzlies game on Monday, so we'll talk that game then. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we this this could be a. A good way to wrap it up. Well, we still here. haven't gotten to Milwaukee yet. You oh, went yeah. right well, to the Grizzlies. You want to give your prediction for the Milwaukee game then? Um, I mean, yeah, man. Like you said, you, you to be quite oh. honest, you, you touched on the biggest thing. Giannis is listed as doubtful. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday don't scare me. I'm going to be honest. Even without Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo, I don't think that either of those guys or the combination of those guys are enough to, you know, put feet – they might be a little better than this Indiana team without without Giannis, without Giannis now. With Giannis, that takes him to a totally different platform because he's that good of a player. But let's just say if it's a Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday-led team, they scare me as much as this Indiana team does. And that's no disrespect to them. That's just saying Giannis is that good. Speaking of Indiana, I looked up the the game I told you that Oklahoma City lost by 58. They lost by 57. Last season, May first, twenty twenty one, probably during that's during the end of the season, they lost 
152 to 95 to the to the Indiana Pacers on May 1st, 2021. So and the, and the Pacers didn't score a lot last year. Yeah. So that would be two uh two of the all-time greatest margins of defeat by the same rebuilding squad. So, yeah, I think that speaks to what I was telling you about. Soon the league will will probably have to start looking at that more closely. Uh very quickly, do you think Sam Presti ends up with in the same with the same fate that Sam Hankey did? They're both named Sam, so they're already there's already a correlation there. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding, but yeah. I That's, do. You think? Because I do. historically no one's like no coach, no front office member survives these type of rebuilds in any sport. Right. By the time it gets to working, you're gone. I mean, Brett Brown is the only guy that I've ever seen, like, the team actually stick with. But they eventually had to let him go. I did not think we would be talking about Brett Brown today. Yeah, man. You went there, though. <laughs> yeah, so, final thoughts. I think... I don't want to. I'm. You know what? I'm going to abstain from giving a prediction for tomorrow's game because I don't know what I'm going to see from the team night to night without Bam. No Jimmy probably tomorrow night. He didn't travel with the team, so his next chance will come in the Gris, during the in the Grizzlies game. So I think this is, this could be. I'm. I'm. I can't just. I can't predict the result. I'm gonna. I'm gonna chicken out. I got you. I think that if the team comes to play like they get, they play. On Friday night, they should have just as good a chance to win as the Bucks should. We can leave it like that. Hmm. I probably should have given that type of answer, man. So, with that being said, Kenneth, <coughs> this was a good, this was a good win. I'm feeling high spirits. Let's see Absolutely. how how we do tomorrow night. With that being said, again, thank you for listening to this episode of Three or Five Culture Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a short review and a five star rating. That will really help the show grow. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305CulturePod. And where can they find you on social media, JJ? They can find me on Twitter at JJ Rivera NBA. That's at JJRIVS and Victor ERA NBA. And on Instagram, you can find me at JRivera98. That's J A I R O R I V. And so Victor, once again, ERA98. And where can they find you, my friend? On Twitter, you can find me at K said K. That's K underscore S A I D underscore Q U E. Again, K underscore said underscore K. And on Instagram, you can find me at I am K Sirius. That's I A M K C I R R U S. All one word. Again, at I am K Sirius on Instagram. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. Yeah, we absolutely appreciate you. Thank you for sticking with us. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.